Howdy, this is Jim Rutt, and this is The Jim Rutt Show. This is a Currents episode. Currents are shorter and less heavily produced than our full-length episodes and generally focus on a single topic. As always, links to books, articles, and organizations mentioned are available on the episode page at jimrutshow.com. That's jimrutshow.com. Today's guest is Terry Gaynor. Terry began his law enforcement career as a police officer in the Chicago Police Department and rose through the ranks, spending many years as a homicide detective. He was later appointed director of the Illinois State Police. In 1998, Terry moved to Washington, D.C., where he served as Executive Assistant Chief, Chief of Police for the Metropolitan Police Department. That's the big city police, the main police department in D.C. And four years later, was selected to be the Chief of the U.S. Capitol Police. And from 2007 to 2014, Terry served as the United States Senate Sergeant at Arms. Welcome, Terry. Jim, it's good to be with you. Yeah, uh, talk about somebody with a, uh, a perfect uh track record and career uh, to talk about the things we're going to talk about here. I couldn't have found anybody uh, with uh, with more relevant experience. Thank you very much for agreeing to be on the show. Well, Jim, I, I actually like trying to help clarify some of the misconceptions and uh, own up to where uh, we did wrong. But I, I think uh, transparency and honesty in what we're doing is the way things should be run. So that's my goal. That's great. Uh, and we will dig into some things. And while there may be some criticism of what happened on January 16th up from my part and maybe yours too, I want to make it clear that I have the highest regard for the police officers and others put in a very difficult situation who did their duty that day. So with that preamble, uh, let's start out with how did preparations for January 6th differ from preparations that you might have seen or known about for previous potentially volatile demonstrations? Clearly, we don't have all the answers of uh, what went wrong, and obviously something did. And the Capitol Police, as well as the Metropolitan Police of uh, Washington, D.C., handle a lot of events, uh, big, small, and generally you're handling events uh, where there's the majority of people are law-abiding, even if they're loud, even if they might be perceived as obnoxious, um, and many are, have views different from the, the police officers, and you could have counter demonstrators. So depending on what the uh, gathering is about is how you might uh, decide how to manage it. And you'd be interested in having uh, as much intelligence as you could gather, uh, both electronically and now in this day and age through uh, social media as well as uh, people living in the community or reading the newspaper, just having a sense of what's going on. And uh, this event we now know is uh, much bigger than was anticipated, and, uh, but it's not nearly the type of activity getting ready for it that we would have been put into the inauguration. And, I, and, and Jim, I do say we a lot as if I'm still doing it. I haven't been up uh, in charge of either of those for the last five years, uh, but I stay in close touch with them. Uh, I do a lot of work for the Justice Department in troubled, violent cities, so I have a sense of uh, what's going on. So that was a very long answer to say we need to unpack uh, what was known, how the planning procedure would have gone, 
how you adjust to any plan you have and uh, how it ended up so bad. Uh, at least superficially, it looked like there was a lot less uh, preparation than I've seen in the past. I mean, going all the way back to the Vietnam War uh, era demonstrations, where I remember seeing on TV uh, the whole capital surrounded by bumper-to-bumper metro buses, and then a line of concertina wire, and then uh, National Guardmen behind that, and then the Capitol Police uh, behind them. I mean, clearly it wasn't anywhere near that level of preparation, and even some of the preparations for the uh, uh, you know, Black Lives Matter related demonstrations this summer looked like they were, you know, quite a bit heavy, more heavily prepared than they were, were this time. Is, you think that's a fair statement? Well, I think it's something that has to be discussed. I mean, if you want to spend some time talking about uh, do law enforcement agencies, the Capitol Police or the Metro Police, anybody else treat all demonstrations the same and all violent demonstrators the same, then that's that's a fair conversation to have. But what has happened in this recent one uh, of uh, January 6th is comparing that to the protest in June on the north side of the White House over in Lafayette Park there. Those are two very different uh, things. And people have to remember that the way that was handled by the president and the attorney general and some of the active military, that did not involve the U.S. Capitol Police. It did not involve the Metropolitan Police Department of Washington. And all of us would agree that it was mishandled. You know, so uh, that comparing that particular one to January 6th is not a good comparison. But that begs the question, do police treat all violent demonstrators the same? And they should. And we need to examine whether policemen or firemen or military men uh, or people doing uh, pods have any uh, bias they drag with them that we have to be more careful and watch what they're doing. And being humans, it's almost certain that they do. The question is, is it to a disproportionate degree? Well, if we're, uh, you know, if we're unclear about the exact uh, differences in preparation, I think one, one thing that we could you know, posit perhaps a little bit more uh, clearly is there seems to have been a shortcoming in intelligence uh, you know, we've, you know, subsequently we've seen that, for instance, the FBI field office in Norfolk wrote a uh, detailed and uh, fairly intense uh, paper warning that there were people preparing for war that were going to be coming to the Capitol. And there was another FBI field office that wasn't quite as dire, but it was pretty dire. And these things were forwarded to headquarters and presumably got to a domestic uh, security uh, component of the FBI. And uh, one wonders, uh, were these things uh, not forwarded to the police? Did the police not pay attention to them? Uh, or did it go to the mayor's office? And, you know, she said, no, we don't want to go there. Uh, what are your thoughts on the intel failure that, uh, you know, we now know there were signals all over the Internet, most of them in publicly viewable places, that there were a lot of people uh, planning to be there and that at least uh, uh, a subsection of them uh, we're considering serious violence. Well, those are great questions, and um, I'm, I'm not going to avoid any of it, but I will also say that there has to be a good commission that has the power and the honesty to call balls and strikes about what went wrong. Uh, here's a couple things I do know. Uh, the chief of the Capitol Police, who's now been relieved of his command, is a, uh, um, a man that I know and respect. 
He was once my chief of staff at the Metropolitan Police Department of Washington when he was a young lieutenant, uh, just ready to make captain. He's a, and when he was chosen to be the uh, uh, chief of the Capitol Police, I was delighted because of the breadth of his experience in Washington, D.C., uh, heading up the Special Operations Division responsible for handling all sorts of demonstrations, big and small. And both the men uh, who had distinguished uh, careers with the uh, uh, Secret Service, one was the Senate Sergeant of Arms, one the House Sergeant of Arms, also people I know and have worked with over the years, and all, both, all three are very competent. So when this began to unfold, you couldn't help but ask the question, what in the heck happened? And as uh, the reporters were all reporting all day long, all that open information where they interviewed the protesters uh, and, and they talked about how violent they were going to be and, and their hatred of what the Democrats had done to the Republicans and to their president. So it is a bit of a mystery. But Chief Sun himself said a week ago, Sunday now, or maybe it was last Sunday, said that he didn't have that complete intelligence. In a press conference that I saw uh, with the mayor, uh, she said, and, and she had the uh, head of the FBI office, Washington, said they didn't have the information. And then it wasn't too far after that, the New York uh, field office of the FBI and the NYPD, the New York police, said they did have it and they passed it. To the Capitol Police. And then, as you mentioned, the information coming from Norfolk would support a notion that they did have it. So clearly, whatever mistakes we thought were cured after 9-11 about eliminating stovepipes and there should be connectivity, there was a breakdown. And there may have very well been a breakdown in the interpretation of that, because even on open source, Jim, there's a lot of garbage and braggadocia and almost stuff that you put in the BS category, but that also has that all has to be carefully vetted and considered. And I don't have the facts as to as to where those error, error, errors were, um, but I've seen the results of the errors. Yeah, and as you alluded to, it, it you know it strikes me that something like the 9/11 Commission would be a good idea to find out how we had this uh, systemic failure. Because uh, a friend of mine said, and I think more or less accurately, that a you know 15 year old intern with a Chromebook uh, give him two hours the day before, he could have turned up plenty of stuff to show there was at least a significant chance. And if uh, we consider the stakes. Here was Congress doing one of its most solemn, most important ceremonial roles, uh, tabulating the Electoral uh, College and announcing uh, an orderly legal succession between administrations. Uh, if there was ever even any, you know, reasonable chance of serious violence, uh, there should have been much more in the way of preparation. So it seems like an intel failure for sure or a judgment failure uh, not to accept uh, the intel. Well, those, again, th those are good points. And even whatever planning they did, uh, you have to look at what information do they have to put together the original plan. And then every plan is just a, a template for how you think things are going to go. In any demonstration, they never go exactly how you think they're going to go. So the other part of all this is adjusting as things unfolded. So 
I'm relatively confident that a variety of law enforcement agencies and police officers uh, were, pre were present in plain clothes, not making themselves known at this demonstration while it was going on. That's perfectly legal. Those are open public events. Uh, but the purpose of those to be down there uh, is to share what they're seeing, what they're the, the tasting in the atmosphere, uh, what are people carrying, uh, and, and get some on-the-ground sense of what's going on. So under normal circumstances, uh, Metro, you know, the Joint Terrorism Task Force of the FBI would have had a, a group down there with members from a variety of different agencies or the Metropolitan Police and the U.S. Capitol Police, and they would have been reporting back so that um, the uh, commanders up on the hill could make some determination of what they need to do. And clearly in the command centers, you would have been watching the, speak, the uh, speeches of members of Congress that were up there and the president and the president's son and Mayor Giuliani, all who were using pretty volatile words and let's go get them and we've been robbed and let's attack, let's fight for the truth. So again, it would be reasonable to assume that you would be getting this information, sending it back and begin the adjustments. And then based on what uh, uh, has been reported by Chief Sun, um, when that happened, he began, began the process of asking for um, control and, and support by some of the uh, smaller National Guard units that were doing uh, traffic duty and some other things uh, for, I believe, the Metropolitan Police Department. And then you read all the hellabaloo about who can give permission and how it had to go up the military chain of command. And I think that might be a, a sideshow. Uh, because normally you would not use those citizen soldiers as a quick reaction back up to law enforcement. That what in the planning process, big or small, you'd want to have enough assets available, maybe even out of sight in case things got bad. But we don't know what happened there. But I think that slowed the process down and, uh, and, and did not contribute to trying to have reserve civil dis, uh, disturbance units on hand. Yeah, I, I know in the past, uh, for some of the bigger demonstrations, you know, certainly all the way back to the Vietnam War era uh, included and things subsequently, uh, again, to hear the issue, yeah, you can't call out the citizen soldiers on short notice. They would often activate them and keep them at the D.C. Armory. Uh, and then if they needed them, they could rush them to the scene. You know, you're not going to get them to come from home and put on their gear and all that. So again, another failure of, uh, of uh, you know, reducing the reaction time uh, in, in the fact that somebody along the line didn't uh, evaluate properly the seriousness of this event. Uh, another question that I think you would be uh, perfect to provide some light on uh, in reading the press and listening to the, you know, NPR and what have you. Uh, there's been a couple of uh, more than a couple of comments that one of the problems that Chief Sund uh, faced uh, was the chain of command problem on Capitol Hill itself. Uh, he reports, as I understand it, to the two sergeants of arms of the House and the Senate, and then. Uh, for certain decisions, that has to go either to the chairman of the House Administration Committee uh, or uh, for other things to the congressional leadership itself for a decision. Uh, how much autonomy did Chief Sund have on that day to take action? 
such as calling for uh, metropolitan police reinforcements or converting the status of uh, the National Guard from unarmed traffic uh, uh, folks to uh, armed security people? Well, he would have little to no direct authority to convert uh, National Guard personnel who were whose mission and assignment was uh, unarmed uh, traffic enforcement and uh, other supplies they might bring. So that would require uh, running through some channels, both in the military district of Washington uh, and then up, up through the Pentagon. So he would have very, very, very little leeway in doing that. Um, but, and, and the uh, command and control and the hiring authority for the chief is the police board where I once sat after I had been chief. I actually went up and replaced my boss uh, when he when he retired and a new administration came in and, and brought me in. And uh, it's an imperfect uh, oversight, but it's probably not much different than city police departments or state police, which I serve where the chief of police reports to uh, the city administrator or the mayor or the city council as a whole or some subcommittees of that. So, you know, as the saying goes, almost everybody has a boss uh, in between what the citizens want and what the police chief may have. So uh, as a plan was being developed, the chief would have been interacting ongoing with the board, specifically the House and Senate Sergeant of Arms, letting them know how the planning is going, and they can weigh in on that. Again, they're up there, uh, part of beyond just the protocol and some of the other duties that they have to uh, help with continuity of government and continuity of operations and uh, uh, overseeing the police department. So uh, taking Steve at his word, as I would, because I respect him for that, that he asked permission to uh, have additional, uh, to have um National Guard called out up on the hill, and as he reported, he didn't get that. Uh, you know, so they're going to have to, both the Sergeant of Arms are going to have to answer is um, why they didn't agree with Steve's assessment that more people were needed. Uh, but one of the problems now in the public discussion of that is the use of the term optics for someone to say, oh, they didn't want the optics. And now we ought to get into a little discussion about what optic, optics means in that, uh, the way it's being used. And really what it means is what is it, what is the message that we want to send about the United States and the capital and security? And most people, I would say, do not want uh, tanks and Humvees and heavily armed office uh, military people patrolling our streets or up on, on the Capitol uh, Plaza and around the Capitol. So when I think that's what they mean about the optics. So what that means uh, and through my career, especially as I moved up in chain of command, was that if you thought the threat was enough that you wanted more people, meaning your own people, you might go to 12-hour shifts. You might cancel days off. You might not give anybody breaks. Uh, but you would also, if you cancel days off, bring people in and standby. So you would paint a, you would have a patrol picture of the way police officers might normally look with a soft cap or a baseball cap, uh, you know, or the typical thing everybody sees in their, in their city. And if you were worried about things breaking bad, uh, then you would have uh, people 
uh, in places out of sight, but ready to call nearby who would be dressed for battle. Um, and again, we're going to have to figure out once the chief was told he couldn't have National Guard, then he had to uh, talk with his personnel and decide, okay, I, they're not giving me permission to do that, which is their right. Um, then what, what's my workaround? And I think there could have been some workarounds based on my experience, although my immediate experience up there is five years old, uh, that the working relationship between the Metropolitan Police Department, the Council of Government who has manages a, a cooperation packs with all the police departments in the area, as well as uh, the, the uh, in Virginia and Maryland, especially in Arlington and Fairfax County and PG County. Those are all preset and very easy to exercise and are exercised in an emergency or the State of the Union uh, or the, the inauguration. So it is incumbent upon the chief, ultimately, in my opinion, uh, since he has the primary responsibility of command and control of the police officers to, uh, to be prepared for the worst. He's the one who would have to make the ultimate decision about uh, he and his staff about what the intel meant. So there's going to be uh, not much shade in a defense that they wouldn't let me do it um, or I didn't have enough people. So when you get in those positions, anybody who leads organizations, you either uh, uh, follow the orders uh, or stand up and buck or you work around them. Are you aware of what the uh, readiness status of the Capitol Police were that day? Had they canceled leave? Had they double shifted? Had they... Uh, uh, you know, basically taken uh, those intermediate steps of increasing their readiness? I don't have the full picture. Uh, I do know this, that that department, like Metropolitan Police Department or any department, uh, has been somewhat hampered because of the COVID, where four, five, six, seven percent of the department might not be available. Uh, so I know they were working a lot of uh, forced overtime, um, but I don't have the specific numbers. Okay. And you talked earlier about, you know, if they thought the things were going to get tough, they would have put on their battle gear, you know, their black web stuff, maybe their uh, their vests. Uh, I didn't see much of that. Uh, uh, what, what do you know about their uh, physical state of readiness uh, on that day when the, when the event occurred? Again, I know how it was being run there in the, the Capitol Division of the Capitol Police. There's different divisions, House and Senate and Capitol. So those are officers who spend the majority of their of their 28-day tour or their assignment in the Capitol, so they know it inside and out. Uh, they have a large uh, uh, roll call area and lockers in one of the basements, and uh, they would have been issued uh, – the type of gear that you would put on in a riot situation uh, in the past, they certainly were. And that would be down in their locker rooms, which, depending on what floor you are in the Capitol, could be, uh, you know, maybe the furthest four stories away from where you are. But that, you know, so typically during a joint uh, 
uh, um, session like that, they w- inside you would not be wearing those things. And even some of the patrol units right around the outside, you would not be wearing those things. But if you're in a squad car, a police car, uh, you can have that stuff in the trunk and it's easier to grab. Uh, inside, if you had the time and the relief factor, uh, you could send people, in theory, to go gear up and then come back to station. But but what the timeline is we see, it does not appear from the time it went very bad to the breach uh, that they would have had time to do that. But again, Jim, that's the preparation of you. If you, if you knew the, the week before or the hours before that that was going to happen, then you would have, you wouldn't needed to adjust. But I also want to say this about, listen, because I had the responsibility of leading that department and policies and procedures and training and anticipating as I did the responsibility of the Senate's Sergeant at Arms. In all the protocols and operations we had, um, there was, I don't recall any detailed talk about losing uh, um, the, the capital to marauders. In other words, the security operation, which was heavily oriented towards um, state-sponsored terrorism and incoming aircraft and suicide bombers and suicide people in cars, you did a lot of that. And the concentric rings you have to, uh, to provide standoff to the capital would not have anticipated I did not anticipate five years ago or uh, now uh, 15 years ago when I was the chief that we would have been in a situation where United States citizens would have been so riled up and hateful and been at a meeting uh, down by the White House where our leaders, our president would have said, go down and attack. Um, That was not one of the contingencies we planned on when I was there. Uh, we didn't envision that. But you are right to say uh, someone with poor sight uh, should have sensed that uh, the hate and discontent that was going on around building up over four years and the split of America and the way the election was being contested, that maybe the situation uh, should have been uh, obviously it wasn't handled right. I, you know, I don't know what the hell else to say other than I, I, I want to know more facts. I want them to improve. We want them never to have, happen, happen again. But had I been chief or I had been Senate Sergeant of Arms and this had happened, um, I would not be surprised uh, to be fired. I just wouldn't. I mean, that's that's the responsibilities and authority that goes along with command. Yep. Yeah. What I'm you know, trying to dig in here is that it seems like these failures were at multiple levels and multiple times. To go back to your, uh, ex- uh, you know, your data, which I did not know, that it's likely that uh, there were police intel folks, either FBI or maybe uh, Metropolitan Police, in the crowd who could start seeing that this is getting a pretty riled up crowd. Presumably, they're communicating back to somebody, uh, and even that would have given you know, an hour and a half lead time to the Capitol Police to have geared up, for instance, right, or called in some uh, people from leave uh, or pulled people in from some of the outlying buildings. But 
that doesn't seem to have anybody have uh, either the intel wasn't uh, forwarded or it wasn't received or it wasn't acted upon. So again, it seems like at every time frame, you know, there's a couple of day time frame uh, where you know the Norfolk office report. Uh, you know, there was some deeper time frames that anyone who really understood the internet could have gathered that information, and then there was day of. Uh, intel and adjustment, as you would call it, uh, that seem not to have happened. So, you know, it's like uh, when you, any failure diagnosis, a plane crash, a nuclear power plant, uh, it, it comes back again and again. It's relatively seldom one failure. It's a whole bunch of failures that happened around the same event. And that's, that, that seems to be the essence of what happened here. It, it does. And again, uh, um, we need a good investigation of that and figure out and figure out why that happened. And then you know, we could get into the speculative things. Uh, would 300 more riot police been enough? Uh, would deadly force have been enough? Would uh, Was there less than lethal force that should have been more readily available? Um, you know, th- those are all questions. But I, I do want to say this because there's been criticism uh, and questions that if you look at those uh, pictures on both the east and west front, and for your listeners, they may know how the west front is the side that faces the Washington Monument. The east front is the side that faces the Supreme Court and the Library of Congress. There are scenes there where those steps in the terraces where police lost pretty quickly lost control of the plaza, then lost control of the steps, then lost control of the landings if you went up the steps and then eventually lost control of the balcony, which people put people next to windows. And there were officers up there with uh, long guns. And some people say, well, why didn't you just open fire? And uh, that would not have been, is not uh, the training, perhaps up until January 6th, of how you would handle uh, people who are trespassing who are loud, ignorant, and uh, racist, you wouldn't begin shooting them. On the other hand, uh, one of the, if you've looked at some of these pictures closely, where you see um, the terrorists, the anarchists, the raiders fighting and beating police officers and trying to rip their face mask off, and officers from the uh, Metropolitan Police Department talked about how they grabbed his uh, uh, ammunition pouches, how they tried to take his gun, how they tried talking that let's kill him, let's kill him with their own gun. Um, the restraint uh, and the decision-making of officers not to begin shooting in a crowded hallway to try to get someone was uh, laudatory. And so the weapons control and when do you shoot and when do you use deadly force uh, was admirable. Um, but it will be reviewed um, as, to, as to what the tactics need to be if we are going to have enemies of our democracy grown in our country who want to do this. Hmm. Yeah, it uh, certainly was an eye opener. Now, what about you know some of the things we've seen on uh, in the media uh, that pretty, at least at a raw look, maybe we were misinterpreting them. There looked like there were some uh, uh, situations where perhaps the police were actually even helping the raiders, you know, where barriers were removed or turned sideways to give passage and where officers were, uh, you know, taking selfies with the uh, uh, 
uh, with the Raiders. Uh, uh, you know, obviously most of the police officers weren't doing that, but what's your sense of, uh, you know, the claims at least that, uh, a small minority of the police officers, uh, you know, seem to be in almost active collusion with the Raiders. Well, when it was first raised to me, I simply denied it. And I said, no, I, I know those men and women that, that can't be possible. And as I examined those, um, I looked at them and I said, okay, I, I, let, let's go through a couple of examples that have been widely talked about. On the east front, which is by over by the Senate stairs, is almost the first place if you're coming onto the plaza from Constitution Avenue, you see hundreds of loud, boisterous people confront maybe four or five police officers if you take a quick look at it, and there's bicycle fence. And bicycle fence is meant to uh, be a, a, a just a line as if you're walking down a street in your city and they're repairing the sidewalk and there would be, you know, orange tape saying sidewalk closed and a reasonable person then not would walk through the wet cement or, uh, or the hole that had been dug. So bicycle fence has limited value to stop crowds who aren't going to listen to police direction. And so it, it, my reaction was that it didn't seem unreasonable to see those four or five or whether it was six officers eventually uh, make the determination that we can't fight uh, 300 people here. So uh, um, absent using deadly force. So they would move the gate to buy time as uh, hopefully they were calling on the radio uh, saying where they needed assistance. And the command center, given the amount of cameras up there, would have been looking at everything unfolding. So I at least understand the rationale of that. Or taking a selfie. You know, the, one of the pictures I saw was an officer in an area of the Capitol that I know pretty well, because you can tell by the, you just know the building and the walls and the pictures, is in the midst of what best was he alone with where you couldn't move anyway, but and run into or surrounded by protesters. The fact that he was standing there in the midst of a, fo of a photo being taken and, and it uh, either appears or was a selfie, um, that could easily be trying to de-escalate some of these things and them not be in a position to, again, draw his gun and say, everybody stand back. The same way the initial misinterpretation of an officer whose name we now know, Officer Goodman, who was seen in several different photos being chased by a crowd and he led them up the steps. Well, we now know that Officer Goodman was leading the offenders away from an entrance that would have got him into the, uh, the chamber quicker. So it is, it is you know, the, the picture was letting people interpret the picture is. But now having said that, we already know that the FBI and other agents along with the Capitol Police and all sorts of agents around the United States has began uh, rounding up the people whose pictures we could identify. And some of those have turned out to be active policemen, active firemen, retired policemen, uh, retired military people, active military people. Um, so that, you know, that, that's a problem. It, it, uh, if, if police have a problem gaining, gaining the trust of uh, people we serve, uh, people of color, uh, we now have a problem with there could be police and firemen and military people uh, whose loyalty we have to question in their stance to the Constitution. So I'm not trying to overdefend. It would appear uh, that there was some collusion with people who shouldn't have been doing that. 
And there's allegations now that members of Congress the day before brought people in and escorted them around the Congress, uh, around hallways and near offices where they should not have been doing that. Uh, but we need the facts of those things. And if any police officer, anybody I know who's sworn an oath uh, to a constitution who was in aiding and abetting this should feel the uh, heavy consequences of justice. But I, I know I'm, I know I'm going on and I, I should take more questions, but I want you to also, you mentioned this, take a look at the pictures of the hand-to-hand -hand combat that those <clears throat> officers from both departments were doing in a multiple of areas. Yep, it was a tough situation, there's no doubt about it. Uh, on the other hand, as you say, the idea of our sworn officers uh, defecting to a uh, seditious mob is, you know, stomach wrenching. So uh, we certainly need to not make any preliminary accusations without evidence. But I certainly hope uh, this is investigated with a fine tooth comb to make sure we don't have, uh, you know, seditious action on the part of uh, the sworn officers on Capitol Hill. Yeah, Jim. L l listen, in the police departments around the country, the fire departments are. Uh, we hire from the community, and uh, the, the community represents people with all their strengths and weaknesses and, and prejudice and bias and uh, political background. So, uh, you know, the terms everybody was using when there was uh, some uh, police misconduct or less misconduct, whether it was Minneapolis, oh, it must be a few bad apples. And so what we have to figure out is how many terrible, seditious apples we have in these key jobs and how many terrible, seditious murderers that uh, we have in the, in the populace. Someone who would take a United States American flag and beat and drag a policeman down the steps. Uh, we've got some problems. We've got some healings to do and uh, not to get overly involved in the politics. You know, whether it was 75 uh, million for uh, um, the president-elect or 72 million for the current president, that's a pretty big damn divide. Uh, and, and not on, which does not mean 72 million people who voted for President Trump's are seditionists, absolutely not. Um, but apparently there's too many haters in too many places in our lives that we don't need that. Yeah, and unfortunately, when the uh, head man himself starts mouthing off that way, uh, it's a very bad situation. And that's you know, one of the things I wanted to you know uh, talk about about this kind of the atmospherics. You know, I've worked in bureaucracies on occasion in my career. I tried to avoid it, but sometimes I did. Uh, and we all know, as you said, everybody's got a boss. The fact that these people were the friends and allies of the boss man himself, the big Cheeto. What impact do you think that had on the whole top to bottom decision making? Uh, you know, are they are they thinking, heck, these are conservative white folks. Uh, they're not going to beat up on the police or, uh, hey, you know, Trump man is our boss nine levels up. Uh, you know, we probably ought not uh, act as if his supporters are a criminal mob. How much do you think thinking of that sort uh, came into these failures that day? I don't know, and I hope not much, but I also know that extremists on the left and extremists on the right, what brings us to this point, and uh, yeah, I'd probably agree that I'll bet 
policemen as a whole are more uh, conservative than not. Uh, prosecutors as a whole are more conservative than not. Public defenders and maybe a lot of the press are more liberal than not. But I think you can be a conservative or a liberal uh, in any one of those professions um, and not be patriotic and not support democracy. So it may have influenced someone uh, on onesies and twosies. Uh, um, but again, I, I, I've seen those police officers uh, do what they're supposed to do, irrespective of, uh, of the person's color or background, or religious or sexual orientation. But I've also seen where that's made mistakes by a lot of different groups and professions uh, across America. So, you know, that kind of gets back into the healing and uh, which way America, which way are we going to go? What are the things we want our children to understand? Um, so there's a, a lot of work. And I, and I, and I, listen, I've worked for Democrats and I've worked for Republicans. Um, I don't recall when I've policed any large events and I, I have my first assignment as a young policeman was the 1968 Democratic Convention in Chicago. Uh, then we had the Days of Rage, and then I went on the military and went over to Vietnam and came home. I, when I went on these jobs, no one asked me what my politics were. Uh, they didn't ask me what my religion was uh, or what my sexual orientation was. So um, I think we can live together without getting caught up on areas we can't get agree on. And now I sound like a preacher and I'm a subject matter expert in law enforcement, so I'm not a preacher. But I am, <laughs> well, but I, but I am vision. Maybe, maybe. Yeah, that's a hopeful vision. And maybe, maybe, maybe January 6th was the fever breaking. Uh, we can hope so. Now, we've talked about a bunch of negative scenarios and failure modes. Uh, one item that keeps coming up in the press is uh, they keep calling out Inspector Grover of the Metropolitan Police as, as the guy who somehow turned the tide. Uh, have you followed that? And, uh, you know, does he indeed deserve uh, an oversized bit of credit for the work he did that day? I know uh, Commander Grover. He is a great guy. Uh, the new chief of the, of the Metropolitan Police, um, Chief Conti, was a great guy when I saw him and knew him as a young police officer and a sergeant when I was there. So they are great men. Uh, Grover and his uh, response group of, uh, from the Metropolitan Police Department, the Civil Disturbance Units, did a wonderful job. And I think all those who did a, a heroic job uh, deserve the recognition. Um, and so they were the Calvary uh, on, on that day to help help the uh, Capitol Police. Along with that, a lot of people who, who at the moment are nameless. And, and here's the one major success, the gigantic major success. The fundamental responsibility of the Capitol Police officer is the preservation of life. And then the preservation of democracy, meaning the Senate and the House can do their business in the preservation of the property and the historic value of that. And what ultimately transpired with the help of uh, the men and women from uh, the Metropolitan Police Department and the Secret Service and some other federal agencies is 
they were able to retake the capital. And what a term to use. They retook the capital, uh, got all the bandits and the terrorists out of there. And during that time while that fight was going on, the Capitol Police officers and agents kept every member safe, every staff member safe. Those chambers were not breached, were not breached uh, while, the, while they were doing that. And ultimately, were able, uh, with the assistance again of Secret Service and Metropolitan Police and other agents with their partners, uh, got the constitutional officers out of there. The number two, three, and four in succession of the presidency of the United States got them to a safe place, secured the building, cleared the building, uh, cleared the building of any listening devices, and got them back into their respective chairs so that the uh, constitutional legislative business was fulfilled. Uh, that's a very plus. That is the renewed signal sent from uh, that building on a hill. And while I am very sorry uh, that a 130-year-old uh, uh, mirror may have been broken in the Speaker's office, and desks were ransacked, and uh, furniture was broken, and uh, feces spread, um, that wasn't the main business, but it was but they did their job. They exercised restraint after fighting for three and four hours. And again, put this in perspective, probably everybody has been, maybe a lot of people have been in fist fights or watch boxing or been in sports. Um, I, I want you to think through, uh, as long as you watch those videos, that these were men and women fighting for, some of them for 90 minutes. Uh, um, in a tough situation. So they fought as if their life and the life of the member and democracy was on the line, and it was, and they did their job. Well, Terry, let's wrap it up there. I think that's a, a good way to put the whole thing in perspective. It was a vile stomach-turning thing to see uh, 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 raiders break through the Capitol and do all the bad things you enumerated, uh, but uh, despite a number of failures, which need to be looked into, uh, the line was held, if only barely. Uh, so uh, thank you, Terry, for an amazing amount of uh, very serious insight into the events of that day. Thank you, Jim, and uh, keep America safe. That's what we have to pray for and, you know, be the change we all desire. So. God bless him. And, and maybe this will scare us all that the uh, you know the fever will break and that this t uh, team red team blue mentality can be ended. Yeah, Jim. You know, just one other thing that whatever percentage of those eight thousand were violent, terrible extremists, uh, others have to take some responsibility for getting mixed up in that and going along with it. So I do understand crowd fever. Uh, I don't think all 8,000 uh, were intent on helping murder a Capitol Police officer, but they were there and they shouldn't have been. And certainly the boss man shouldn't have been cheering them on. So uh, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll have, we have a lot to learn as a society, both operationally and intel and uh, preparation and reaction. And we have a lot to learn as a society. So again, thank you very much, uh, Terry Gaynor. Thank you. Production services and audio editing by Jared Janes Consulting. Music by Tom Muller at modernspacemusic.com.